the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Peter is pondering the meaning of his vision when he gets an invite from Cornelius and has to make a decision. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 17. The title of the message is, Jesus is the Lord of All. Acts chapter 10. Well, as we're going through the book of Acts, we remember that the whole theme of Acts is that Jesus is still working, that he is doing things through his church by his spirit. And in doing so, we're seeing this church begin to grow and move and push out its boundaries and break down walls and barriers that have stood up. We've seen the church go to the Samaritans. We've seen the gospel go to the Hellenistic Jews. And the rallying cry of the church will soon become Jesus is Lord. It became the rallying cry of the church because of Rome's requirements for citizens to confess that Caesar is Lord. They would require all Roman citizens, you would have to come to the altar there, at whatever the place was, the temple there in these Roman cities, and you would offer a pinch of incense to this, they call it the genus of Caesar. It was the idea of this statue that was this deity type thing would come upon and rest upon whoever was named Caesar, and then they would become a god, so to speak. And you'd have to offer this pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. So the church, of course, would say, what? Jesus is Lord, right? That's what they would say. And you know, today we see that phrase all over the place. We find it on banners or bumper stickers as a declaration of our faith. But to the early Christians, it was more than just a declaration of faith. It was a recognition that Jesus, not Rome, was in charge of their lives. A statement of allegiance which found reflection in the lives of of those who uttered it. A statement of unity and love as Christians locked arms with one another. A testimony that all of them had sinned, but Jesus had rescued them. And today, as we see Peter preach the gospel finally to the Gentiles, might it remind us that Jesus died for the people who are sitting right next to you as well. So chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 17. A little context here. Peter, of course, was up on the roof And the Lord gave him a vision of all these animals. And he told him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, oh, no, no, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's unclean or common. And the Lord said to him, what God has cleansed, that do not call common, unclean or ritually impure. And after it was done three times, the vessel was received up. And verse 17 says, now 
While Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before outside or in front of the gate. And they were calling out, crying out, and asking whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. Now, the word they're asked, it's in the imperfect, which means they were keeping asking. They kept on asking because they were getting a bit of the runaround. And that's not hard to understand with a Roman soldier in their presence. Peter's a marked man. It's not exactly a good thing when Roman soldiers show up and they ask for you. And so they've been giving him the runaround a little bit. And while that's going on, verse 19, Peter's up on the roof and he's thinking. He's up there. It says, while Peter thought or reflected on the vision, he's trying to figure out what it means. The Spirit says to him, hey, Three guys are looking for you. Arise, therefore, and get you down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, the nature of the words indicate that Peter's first thoughts were that these guys are here for a negative reason. Hey, the Spirit says, three guys are looking for you. And Peter's like, thanks for the tip. I'm out of here. And he says, no. (laughs) Arise, therefore, and get you down and go with them, doubting nothing. I wonder if Peter thought if that moment of John 21, verse 18, when Jesus told him, he said, there's going to come a day, Peter, when people are going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to lead you by the hand to a place you don't want to be. You're going to die, Peter, for me. And I wonder if he thought his day had come. The Spirit tells him, doubting nothing. Don't question whether this is me or not. Now, the Spirit wouldn't have said that if Peter wasn't thinking it. From every angle, his fight-or-flight mechanism is saying flight, and yet he obeys. And so it says in verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore you are come? I had to freak those guys out a little bit. Hey, we're looking for someone named uh, Simon, who's surnamed Peter. They're giving him the runaround. All of a sudden, Peter walks down and says, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. Now they're how do you know? <laughs> how do you know we were looking for you? The Spirit had told him. And yet I can't help but think that Peter wonders if he's going to his death. These are the same exact words that Jesus uttered in the garden when the soldiers came for him. Whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? Peter says, behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore you are come? The word there, cause, could actually mean Accusation. What have I done? Why are you here to arrest me? Is what he's asking. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one that fears God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into his house and to hear words of you. Warned of God means to receive a divine answer to prayer. He received a divine answer in prayer from an angel who sent us to your house to hear words, that you would come with us to hear words from you. Now, if Peter was perplexed already, he's got to be completely baffled by this point. They're not here to arrest him. They're here to invite him to a speaking engagement at a Gentile home. Now, because of Jewish traditions, a visit there might be more terrifying than being arrested. Honestly, it's interesting that the thought of going to visit was more concerning to him than a request to raise the dead. He gets a request to raise the dead from these people in Lydda, and he just goes. But here, the Spirit has to keep telling him, hey, don't doubt me. Hey, go and do this. Don't worry about this. He'd rather go and try to raise the dead than go have dinner with a Gentile. 
if that shows you the culture that he's in. And yet that experience with Tabitha would remind Peter that God's love is huge and that he specializes in doing the impossible. I can raise the dead, Peter. Surely I can bring my truth to the Gentiles. Verse 23, you got to give credit to Peter. He does what the Spirit says. Then he called them in and he lodged them. The word there means not just to have them stay in his home, but he means to receive and show hospitality to a stranger. And Middle Eastern hospitality is big. It's very big. You remember in the Old Testament when Lot had the angels come and stay with him, and he actually offered his daughters to the men who were seeking to sleep with these angels. He offered his daughters to them. You think, what a horrible dad. Yeah, he is a bad dad, but That being said, he was operating underneath that Middle Eastern concept that if someone comes under your roof, you treat them better than your own family. When it says that he lodged them, he was showing them that Middle Eastern hospitality. Now, Jewish tradition at this time forbid them from inviting Gentiles into their homes, but God's word never forbade that. It's possible at this very moment that Peter was finally grasping what God had been saying to him through the vision. Either way, (laughs) what you find under this roof tonight is a group of disciples, the great apostle, a despised tanner, and three Gentiles, a microcosm of how the church should look. The church should have those who are despised. The church should have those who are cast out in it. It should be a place where all are welcome to hear the word of God. We moved on to verse 23, and it says, on the morrow, the next day, Peter went away with them and certain brothers from Joppa accompanied him. We learned from chapter 11 that it was six other believers. Peter knew he was in dangerous territory and he wanted backup, witnesses to see what God was doing. Listen, they probably don't know exactly all the details of what Peter's experienced at this point, but he brings them with him because he wants to make sure he's got all his bases covered. And so it says in verse 24, And the morrow they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. The word they're waiting means with expectation and hope. He had been doing this since these guys left. He had been gathering together his friends and all of his family because he knew this was something big. Cornelius knew this was an important message and he wanted everyone he cared about to hear it. Do you and I have a burden for those that we care about like Cornelius? that you've got to hear this. Man, you've got to come to church this week. You've got to come and hear what God has to say. You've got to come. You've got to hear about this. I read this in my Bible. Let me tell you about what I read in my Bible today. Do we have that kind of a burden for those that we care about in our lives? Well, verse 25, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. Literally, they happened upon each other. As Peter's walking into the home. They bump into each other. And Cornelius fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now, I don't think he worshiped him as a person because he already knew that there was one God and that God only should be worshiped. We know he's a just man. He's a man who's right with God. The word there can also mean to kneel down as an act of reverence. Now, Cornelius being a high-ranking Roman official, his pay was 16 times that of the enlisted soldier. He's a high-ranking Roman official. He knew what it was to be in the presence of a superior and you would kneel down or bow down before them. And that's probably how he thought here. This is the one that angels knew his name. The one that angels told me to send for. He's probably a superior. I should bow down to him. But if you flip the coin, can you think of how difficult that was for Peter? 
I mean, he's taken in Gentiles as guests. He travels with them for two days. He's in their company. And what's the first thing he sees when he crosses over the threshold into a Gentile home? This guy's bowing down to him. God's command alone must have held Peter to his task. I know there must have been every temptation as one of these guys from Joppa is needling Peter. And he says, Peter, we need to get out of here. <laughs> Look at this mess. He's worshiping you. I kind of wish that we paid more attention to this and maybe not glorified man so much. But you know, God's command alone must have held Peter to his task. And sometimes that's all you'll have. Sometimes that's all you'll have. Obeying God won't be a popular decision. It might even make your skin crawl a bit. It's very likely you'll feel totally out of place and awkward, but that's okay. When we're doing what God's word tells us, we can rest assured we're right where he wants us to be, no matter how uncomfortable we feel. Now, Cornelius, Peter takes him up. It literally means he caused him to stand up. Peter helps him up saying, stand up for I myself also am a man. Not in contrast to a woman, but a man in the sense that I'm just a human being. And thank God Peter made that clear. I'm just a human being. How many times have Christian leaders fallen because they've forgotten they're just men like everyone else? Peter didn't give his title. He didn't say, hi, I'm the apostle Peter, come to speak to you. He recognized that he was simply a messenger. A messenger who was loved wonderfully by God and who had a great message, but a messenger nonetheless. The real respect was due to the message. Verse 27, I love this. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. He begins to have a conversation with Cornelius. He just starts talking to him. Peter made time to talk with Cornelius, not at Cornelius. He didn't seek to get to the meeting and to get it over with. Hey, you know, I guess I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus and let me skedaddle because I really shouldn't be here. He talks to him. So you're a centurion. Yeah, I'm a centurion. How long you been here? They converse with one another. They just have conversation. Do you make time to talk with people about the Lord? I hate small talk. Just me, okay? I'm kind of a what you see is what you get guy. And so, you know, I figure, you know, if we can't talk about something, then apparently nothing important is going on. So we probably should leave and go do something important. But I've learned sometimes you got to kind of chat somebody up. And the Bible talks about in Proverbs about a wise man being able to draw out of the well that is someone's heart. I've learned that you have to do that. But do we take time to talk with people about the Lord? Have spiritual conversations. Say, I don't know how to have spiritual conversations. I'll teach you, okay? It's real simple, all right? This is the question you ask somebody when you don't know what to say. Hey, what's the Lord been teaching you lately? There's only two ways that question can be answered. Let me tell you, or he hasn't been because I haven't been spending time with him. And either way, you're about to have a spiritual conversation, right? Serious. So you know, if I ever say that to you, it's because I'm tired of the small talk and I want to get down to business. It's teasing. Very often, me and Beverly will sit down and she'll ask me that question. What's the Lord been teaching you? I'll ask her that question. What's the Lord been teaching you? And those turn into those hour and a half conversations of what we've been learning in the word, what God's doing in our hearts, what we've been praying for. You want to talk about intimacy in a marriage? That's intimacy. Having conversations with one another about spiritual things. 
As they're conversing, they're walking, and finally Peter finds himself with this crowd of people. It says there were many that were come together. I don't know if it's 50, I don't know if it's 100, but this must have been the final kicker for Peter, to see a crowd of Gentiles waiting to spend time with him. If there was a time to turn back and save face, this would be it. But look what Peter says, verse 28. And he said unto them, ye, that's the plural, you all know, see he was from Florida, you all, you all know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation, semicolon, which means and indicates a pause of indefinite time. It's almost like he's sitting there and he's like, you all know this should not happen. I should not be here. You should not be here. And yet here we are. <laughs> you understand the significance of what's going on right now. That it is unlawful, it is forbidden. Now, no Old Testament verse forbade this, but the rabbi's teachings of his day did. You know, it is forbidden for me to associate with you guys. And everyone there understood the significance of his presence. The normal thing to occur at this point would be for Peter to cut out and leave. No one would expect otherwise from how Jews and Gentiles had interacted for centuries. And praise God, Peter stays. Because if Peter didn't stay, then you and I might not be here today. Because the truth is, most of us here this morning are dirty Gentiles. So we are. And yet God has rescued us. And it all started right here. Right here. This would be a mind-blowing revelation to the six Jewish believers that Peter took with him as he says this, but God has showed me. You know this shouldn't have happened, but God has showed me. After the pause, he says this. God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. All those six guys must have been going, what? Because it ran counter to everything they'd been taught. See, they believe that a Gentile couldn't come to God just as they are without becoming Jewish first. They had to become Jewish first. And here, Peter says, you can come. God has told me that you can come just as you are. And so Peter asks him, verse 29, this is why I took the risk, he says. Therefore, I, say, I came unto you without gainsaying, because God taught me this as soon as I was sent for you, without objection. For I now I ask, therefore, for what intent have you sent for me? And before we move on to what Cornelius has to say to him, let me ask you a question. What area or is there an area you're objecting to in your life that God has called you to be obedient to him? I know what that's like. I fought the Lord at times. You can't fight the Lord and win, but I've fought against the Lord, things that he's wanted me to do. What is it that you're objecting to that God has called you to be obedient to him? Because if Peter can obey the Lord without objection in this area, this most sensitive of areas, what's my excuse, Right? What's my excuse? Trust the Lord. He loves you and he knows what he's doing. When you read it in his word and you say, but I don't know if I do that. You don't know how my wife or my husband will respond. You don't know. You don't know what my kids will do. You don't know what the boss will say. Trust the Lord. He loves you immensely. The very hairs on your head are numbered. He loves you enough that he spread his hands and he died for you. Surely he wants to take care of you as well, right? You can trust him and you can obey him. 
Well, Cornelius said, verse 30, four days ago, I was fasting unto this hour. And this reveals to us that Cornelius had been actively seeking God about something in particular. I'll get to that in a moment. And God answered, of course, by sending Peter. But Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer or the prayer of you is heard. The specific prayer that you have been praying, your prayer has been heard. We pray about a lot of things, but there's that one thing that you're praying about, that we're praying about, that's on your heart heavier than anything else. What is it? God hears. God hears. So what was on Cornelius' heart? He said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard and your alms are had in remembrance of the sight of God. If we go back over to chapter 10, he tells him there that their lodge is with one Simon a Tanner whose house is by the sea. He shall tell you what you ought to do or what it is necessary, what is lacking, what you still have left to do. Perhaps Cornelius had been there. He said, Lord, I believe in you. But the Jews, they tell me I've got to get circumcised and I've got to do all these things. And and it just doesn't seem like that's what's going to bring me closer to you. What is it that I need to do, Lord? Do I need to get circumcised? Do I need to do this? And the angel comes to him and says, there is something missing, Cornelius. But Peter, he's the one who's going to let you know what it is. I believe Cornelius was longing for that depth of relationship with God Almighty that can only come through Jesus. And so, verse 32, send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a Tanner by the seaside, and who, when he comes, he shall speak unto you. Immediately, therefore, I sent unto you, and you have done well that you are come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded you by God. Cornelius says, I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad that you've come and we're all here to hear what it is that God has commanded you to say to us. What teachable attitudes. (laughs) Is that your attitude when you read your Bible or when you come to hear God's word in this building? As you say, Lord, teach me, Lord, speak to me. Listen, I don't have anything to offer you this morning. Nothing, nothing at all. But the Lord himself, the one who speaks by his spirit, he has so much that he wants to say. And he promises that when the word is spoken, that he comes alongside of it and he speaks to our hearts, that he feeds us by his hand as our loving shepherd. Why was Peter here? Because he had a message that all these people needed to hear. What other message could that be but the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth Peter was used to opening his mouth. He just wasn't always used to saying the right thing. But this time he opens his mouth and he says, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Of a truth. I've learned something. I've learned a truth, something that is true that I did not know before. It's always been true, but I didn't understand it. I didn't recognize it until now. Peter's reality has changed. And the ramifications are amazing. He says, I perceive, I have grasped a concept now that God is no respecter of persons. That phrase there, it means to show favoritism, to unjustly treat one person better than another. The Jewish teachers of Peter's day taught that God created the Gentiles to keep hell hot. 
for fuel. That that's why he created them. That Jews couldn't be lost and Gentiles couldn't be saved without becoming Jewish first. That was the understanding. That was the teaching of this day. And yet, Peter declares, it can't be true. God is just. And that means he's fair in his treatment of all mankind. No one will be in hell unjustly. It's the something that often gets attacked. Well, if God is a God of love, then why is there hell? Why does he send people to hell? There won't be a single person in hell that didn't choose to go there. There won't be a single person there unjustly. In fact, the Bible says, and this is crazy when I think about the reality of it, it says that when those who are condemned to hell, when they stand before the great white throne judgment, it says, we will be next to our Lord saying, just and true are your ways, O God. We will be there standing by his side and saying, God, you have done the right thing. Charles Spurgeon's mother, the great preacher, he said nothing terrified him more than when his mother would pray at the dinner table and say that she would testify against them someday if they never received the Lord because it would be their fault for being an L. That's a hardcore mama. The very thought of his own mother testifying against him before the great white throne judgment burned his heart. No one will be in hell unjustly. And let the words of Peter forever dispel this notion that God chooses some people for heaven and some people for hell. That is not a loving, just God. God justifies all who come to him by faith. Knowing what God wants us to do or which path to take is a question on many Christians' minds. And God doesn't often show us the final outcome. He instead shows us the next step and we follow him in obedience, one step at a time. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.